Involve. Solve. Evolve. Welcome to Cloud Crunch, the podcast for any large enterprise planning on moving to or is in the midst of moving to the cloud. Hosted by the cloud computing experts from Second Watch. Michael Elliott, Executive Director of Marketing. And Fred Bliss. CTO of All Things Data at Second Watch. And now, here are your hosts of Cloud Crunch. Welcome back to a new season of Cloud Crunch. In this season, we intend to address many of the difficulties and the opportunities of your evolution in the cloud. We'll hit upon topics covering application modernization, enabling cloud native development, data insights, and cloud economics. I'm joined this season by new co-host Fred Bliss, CTO of All Things Data at Second Watch. I'm looking forward to this season, Fred. Lots of cool things to cover as we continue to see the evolution of the cloud. Thanks, Michael. Looking forward to it. Welcome back to Cloud Crunch. In today's episode, we're going to cover how Snowflake empowers you to unleash your business. Now, joining me as always is Fred Bliss, CTO of All Things Data here at Second Watch. So, Fred, how Snowflake empowers you to unleash your business. That's a pretty strong statement. Do you think we're going to be able to back that up? Yeah, and I, th- I think it's important to remember that, you know, Snowflake, it's an ecosystem, right? By itself, it enables quite a bit that businesses weren't able to before. And I think it's created standards for things, you know, in the data and analytics ecosystem in general across enterprises that have almost become standards and things we take for granted today, you know, right? You know, if I think back to, you know, six years ago when we first started partnering and recommending Snowflake back when they were, you know, essentially a database, data warehouse startup out of out of the West Coast. And I remember saying, you know, this is really cool technology, but I don't see how enterprises are going to, you know, adopt this, right? And this is at the time when SQL Server is strong, Oracle is, you know, kicking butt everywhere, Teradata is still, you know, on a roll. And to think that, this browser-based <laughs> cloud within a cloud is going to take off and become kind of the de facto data cloud for enterprises. Just, you know, was completely beyond anything that I ever thought. But at the time, you know, I was like, okay, let's try it. Let's see what happens. <laughs> let's see how it works out. But it's created some things that just make things easier that we couldn't do before. You know, being able to bring in JSON data and semi-structured data. We've got one client right now that's bringing in all their weblog data as it happens, so as they're clicking on their website and their customers are clicking on their website, that data is being streamed directly into Snowflake, which is then being streamed into the BI tool that they're using. And so business users can watch in real time as their clients are hitting the website and various pieces of it and start to understand what are people doing, what are they looking for, to what do they want, what are the gaps, and tying that all in with everything else across the enterprise it just wasn't something you could do before, right? I still remember the days of writing these big ETL scripts in SQL Server, and you kick it off, and you wouldn't see if it actually loaded successfully until 12 hours later. <laughs> I remember when I first started my job, they essentially used Informatica, and it was, I think the job ran for about 23 hours in this big enterprise. And if it didn't finish at that 23-hour mark, then... You would essentially restart and you'd have the next job kind of overrunning. So they had people whose sole job it was at night to sit there and watch to make sure this job was still running and to kick it off again from where it failed if it didn't. (laughs) I mean, you don't want to go back to when I was a developer. I was writing COBOL code 
into a database. And the reality is that database probably still exists. They're probably still using it. So how oh, absolutely. Is... <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it, it's become a source system now for a lot of these Snowflake, you know, data platforms that we're building. <laughs> well, let's kind of, let's talk about it. You know, where does Snowflake and that capability fit into taking these legacy kind of systems that you can't do a lot with. How is Snowflake changing that? You know, I think something that we've always told our clients as they're thinking about what systems and, you know, what technology to buy, right? That's always, you know, the biggest question from the technology side. The business side tends to be, you know, I don't care, just make it work, <laughs> depending on the size of the enterprise. But I think a lot of the early marketing materials around performance, right? Like, they can load terabytes and terabytes of data, and that's just something you can't do in a typical SQL Server environment or a typical Oracle environment. For us, though, it was more about the speed to insight. So being able to do things, um, you know, like get all your raw data in really, really quickly, and then throw a view on top of it and start querying it within, you know, maybe a couple of days. You know, maybe even a couple of weeks, you could have something end to end. Now it's not going to be, you know cost optimized it's not going to be um it's not going to be perfect <laughs> it's not going to be your end production state but you can start to look at something and get an idea of you know this is what's possible this is what my data is telling me this is what i can do <laughs> in a couple of weeks as opposed to um you know again back in the day it was three to six months before you even knew if the business users were getting what they wanted out of it sometimes even longer so time to solution is a huge component of this, um, where you went from months to days to understand the value of that data. I think what it's done for, uh, for us as uh, consultants and builders is that if we were to take a, um, you know, a Snowflake environment versus, um, you know, again, a typical SQL Server on-prem environment, you know, and we've had that before of trade-offs of should I buy it or, you know, I've already got a SQL Server on-prem, should I just use it? And the difference for us is we can do it faster in Snowflake <laughs> than we can in a SQL Server environment. And the other you know, side of that coin is when we deliver that to our customers, um, it's going to be less time on their side to support and maintain it. Now, yes, are they going to pay a little bit more than they would for a SQL Server that they already own and that they already have a license for? Yeah, they'll pay more in consumption costs for it. But the cost of having to hire someone to manage those indexes, take care of backups, make sure everything's running smoothly, things aren't down. Um, it's the simplification of the data and analytics ecosystem that I think Snowflake brings, um, that even some of its competitors don't, right? And, but there's trade-offs, right? It's, it's not perfect at everything, um, but it brings, I think, simplicity. Well, I mean, and it doesn't fit for every every client or every application. I mean, mm -hmm. if you're in a traditional Oracle application or SAP HANA application, you don't just lift and shift to a snowflake. So, what where 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 do these legacy applications running on these legacy um, data systems? What are you able to move over? What are those case studies that really work on Snowflake? I think the best use cases are going to be both your semi-structured data and your traditional structured data. And, you know, now that Snowflake's started to support unstructured data, um, you know, even bringing in audio files. So being able to bring in, uh, you know, your call center log data and have the audio file attached to that and be able to run a transcription service off, you know, AWS or Azure or GCP and then load that transcription right into that same record. 
all these things are possible now and bringing in semi-structured data and querying it in real time, these were just things you couldn't do before, right? Now, um, some of the trade-offs are that because of the way Snowflake's architected, um, if you need data in, you know, perfect real time, where you know it's I'm hitting uh, an IoT device and I need to see down to the second, you know, what's happening with you know, say, some manufacturing device, and these are critical business decisions that need to happen on the second or millisecond basis. Snowflake's not going to do that, right? It's it, there's always going to be some latency involved, and there's systems that are developed for that kind of thing. But you know, I think that. Um, you know, being able to bring in SAP HANA data, you know, we do that today, right? Um, it doesn't really matter what the source system is. We can bring it all together and mash it all together. The hard work is still the same as it was 20 years ago, regardless of technology. It's understanding the business rules and how uh, how the customer wants to see everything. But the, uh, um, the trade-off is versus, you know, some of the competitors is it's, you know, it's obviously a proprietary system. Um, versus some of the other ones out there that are more open where you can bring your own tools. But I kind of, uh, I guess, compare it to just like when you're going with AWS native services, like if you're using Lambda services or uh, their own container services, all these abstracted uh, past services, you're paying for uh, proprietary services, but you're getting um, abstraction and ease of use out of it, right? So portability goes away a little bit, but the trade-off is it's a little bit easier to use and build for. Let's talk real quickly about the business intelligence you're able to pull off, say, a Snowflake-built system versus more of a legacy architecture. Are there distinctions? Are there differences? Yeah, and I, I think it, um, it mostly comes down to um, how you're doing the queries and how much you're doing. Um, with something like Snowflake, right, if you've got... Um, you know, if you're under a terabyte of data and we're not talking huge amounts of, of data, you're probably not going to see a huge difference in the performance using, um, let's just take any BI tool, hitting a SQL Server well-modeled uh, well data warehouse versus a Snowflake one, right? Um, especially for if you're just looking at, let's say, summary data, aggregate data. But when you're getting into... Um, you know, millions of rows and say, I want to see the last couple of years at an aggregate level. And I want to be able to quickly drill into those details down to the individual transaction level. This is something one of our, our clients uh, were trying to do before where um, with their SQL server environment in Azure, they had to load everything into Power BI into memory. And you couldn't fit in all the transactions, right? Because all these transactions over the, over the last couple of years, it's a lot of data to fit into memory for the way Power BI works. So if anyone wanted to understand, you know, individual transactions or look for discrepancies or Connie wanted to dig into a, a piece of the general ledger, they couldn't do that before. <clears throat> um, with Snowflake now, we can bring in some of that aggregate data into memory and still get that speedy performance. But now if they want to drill into details of data from 2015, they can drill into it quickly and a live query is going to hit Snowflake and bring that back in a really quick period of time. So to the end users, you've basically opened up their entire data set, their entire data ecosystem, which is something you just couldn't do easily before. You could do it. It was just a lot more work. Usability of Snowflake versus having to understand a SAP HANA system or Redshift or, I mean, is there any distinction there? I think there's some minor ones, right? And if, you know, if, I, if we compare um, Redshift 
and uh, and Snowflake. I think Snowflake's embraced SQL and kind of brought SQL to the forefront again, which is great for um, you know for data uh, for data professionals, right? And for uh, for anyone that's been uh, writing data analytics solutions for a long time, because there was this period of time where Hadoop was coming in and was kind of making SQL almost feel like a second class citizen. And there's a reason Hadoop didn't get largely, um, you know, widely adopted. But when it comes to Redshift and Snowflake, you know, SQL is still king for both of those. There's some minor differences between the two. Um, I think there's differences in the way you architect things. With Redshift, you have to be um, very much aware of how much disk space you're using, uh, how you're partitioning things, and making it sure that performance is always in the forefront of, <clears throat> of how you build your uh, solutions. Snowflake, of course, it's not just going to be instantly plug and play, but it's a lot closer. You don't have to really worry about um, certain performance tuning things until you get to a certain scale. Although things like how you order your data still matter, right? Like all those basic uh, things about building good, well-architected data solutions, they still matter. You know, building star schemas, it still matters. Um, when you get into things like Databricks, um, that's a much different system, right? The architecture of a Databricks is very different from the architecture of a Redshift or a Snowflake. Now, Snowflake calls itself a data cloud, and is that part of that distinction you talk about? Or can you just kind of help the audience understand what what is a data cloud? What does that mean? Yeah, I think it's I think it's been an evolution, right? You know, when we first started working with them, the only use case was a, a data warehouse. And now, there are data applications, there's things like data sharing. Um, again, it's all part of these standards that um, that have just become almost commonplace, right? When I think, when you think data sharing, this didn't really exist uh, before Snowflake. There was, you know, most companies are still using FTP to share data around uh, with different partners and, um, you know, even internally. And Snowflake kind of opened the door to, you can have your live data with your partners and even have these data clean rooms where you can have multiple partners, you know, all working off the same data with security applied um, and be able to contribute and add your own. And when you think about external data too, there's so much of it out there. The hardest part with getting external data for, for clients is how do I get it and what do I get and what's out there and what's good? <laughs> No, and and I I look back of you know there was all this external data, but there was no way to bring that data in. There was no way to bring that data in where there was a trust factor around that. So that is definitely an evolution that has occurred. I mean, API development started to allow some of that, but there was still yeah, there was no standard, right? Yeah, there exactly. Was, and there's a lot of platforms popping up now that um, that are kind of data curation places where you can have a trusted API, you can pay for it. But I think with Snowflake. It, it makes it easy, right? You click a button, you get access to the share, you pay for it if there's a cost to it, and then you can query it instantly. And if it doesn't fit your use case, you stop using it. Exactly. All right. What are some of the considerations we should think about when adopting Snowflake just to keep your platform extensible and flexible? I think the key thing is, again, to remember that um, even though the technology has gotten better, it doesn't mean that you can throw away good design and good architecture. Um, you know, if, if we think back to the way, you, you know, things were modeled, <laughs> again, in the early 2000s, it was kind of an Inman versus Kimball debate, right? And I think, you know, 
Kimball is, is kind of one out in my, <laughs> my opinion, uh, and probably a lot of others. And so that's the traditional, you know, dims and facts star schema. Now, do you need to build it exactly the way the Kimball book, uh, that was originally written, the data warehouse toolkit says to do it? No. Um, there's some, uh, shortcuts you can take now. You don't need to do every little performance enhancing thing to get every little piece of CPU out of, uh, <laughs> out of your system. But, um, you know, I, I think it's less about the technology, um, you know, whether it's on Snowflake or any other um, any other solution, and more about thinking big picture for uh, what data are you bringing in, how are you going to build this in a way that you can bring in future data sources that you don't have today, um, how can you quickly change business rules so that uh, you know if uh, if a core piece of the business changes or you acquire a new company and you need to change the way that your code uh, works that you don't have to go change it in 20 different places. Uh, what happens if you change your BI tool? Or what happens if, if your company decides to adopt a couple different BI tools or wants to start building applications on top of your uh, the data that you've already built? These are all considerations, right, that, you, that I don't think has really changed with the technology, but um, there's a lot more components to it than there were before. You know, back in the day it was, by a database, by an ETL tool, by a BI tool, and you're done. <laughs> now, <laughs> there's all, it's it's less about, you know, how do I build this and more, how do these things connect to each other and talk to each other? And how can I make sure that I'm going to future-proof this in the right way? Now, a lot of what you just talked about, though, is consumption, consumption, consumption. How can I consume more? How can I consume more and more and more? How do you keep, you know, that consumption cost in line because in the cloud, we love you when you when you consume more. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because I think those key things are also a big part of the cost control. You know, we've we've done a lot of projects where we've come in and we've seen what prior developers did in their Snowflake environment, and a lot of it was kind of throwing away the concept that we you know we talked about before, which is well architected and well modeled systems. Yes, you can throw all of your raw data out there in any format you want in these big wide tables that have tons and tons of rows in it, but man, it's going to be inefficient and you're going to have to scale up to get any kind of performance out of it. You build this in a way that, you know, has well-architected data models, it's going to make a huge difference in your performance. You know, aside from that, I think some of the big things are that, you know, we tell our clients are data loads, right? How often do you really need to load your general ledger? Yes, it'd be great to get it loaded in real time, but do you really need it that way? And what's the cost worth it to you, right? And, you know, we had one client who wanted to essentially load their general ledger in every 15 minutes versus every four hours. And the differential cost of doing that every year was about $400,000. Wow. But, you know, being able to look at that and say, this is the cost of doing that, is it worth it to you? At least they can make that informed decision, right? For some Correct. data sets, it will make sense to do that. For the general ledger, well, maybe not. I, every four hours seems a little extensive to me as well, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so how does Snowflake Data Cloud equip retailers, consumer packaged goods to really stay on top of changes and address those pain points and ultimately, I guess, meet business needs? I think the evolution of these industry clouds that they're developing shows that they're thinking less about the technology now and more about how do we enable these individual verticals to be more successful. You know, we see that with healthcare we're seeing a big push with retail. And I think it's, it's again, helping customers find, again, the right data sets, the right external ones, being able to connect with all the different partners through data sharing, 
And, you know, eventually, I think we're going to start seeing more and more industry-built, purpose-built solutions built on top of Snowflake. You know, Snowpark came out, uh, I want to say about a year and a half ago, maybe been longer. <laughs> but what that essentially does is enables low-level API access to some of the pieces of Snowflake that you couldn't before. And I think what we're going to see out of that is applications coming out of that, built by partners, maybe some built by Snowflake, that are going to be the equivalents of Lambdas on AWS. <laughs> and some of these are going to make things easier, right? Being able to go out to the data marketplace and get an ML model that's going to help you predict customer churn for clients that can't build these things in-house. That's going to be a huge help to just start to you know play around with ML as opposed to going out and trying to figure out which tools do I need to buy? How do I build this model? What's going to be successful? It lets them experiment a little bit natively without a huge price tag and risk. All right. Last question for you. I'm going to throw you a curveball because I like to do that. What was one of the coolest implementations of Snowflake that one of the team members had to build? And what was the result of that? So I think one of the cooler ones we've done was almost a data exploration exercise. There was a musical band that was branching out beyond just music that we were working with. And you know, they were starting to build out their brand and everything beyond just, you know, touring and selling albums. I mean, it was cool to get access to all of this different data, right? And, and you know, merchandising data and, you know, what they essentially asked for help with was, can you take our data and help us figure out what we should care about? <laughs> and being able to just throw that into Snowflake really quickly and start exploring and do this over like a six to eight week period and then come back to them and show them exactly, you know, it's not production it's data, it's not live data, but it's their real data and be able to show them, here's what we found, here's the insights that we uncovered, and here's where you should focus, right? Like you have these core fans in this segment right here who are, you know, really big into, you know, one of the lines uh, of business that they were considering exploring. And just being able to do that um, and show that to them in something, you know, that's just not a big Excel file. I thought that was a, a pretty cool way to use Snowflake as, you know, almost like a prototyping exploration tool more than anything else. Well, Fred, I want to thank you for uh, joining me as always today as we covered how Snowflake empowers you to unleash your business. Join us again next time on Cloud Crunch, where we will delve into the topics of all things cloud. Appreciate you joining us today, Fred. As always, thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Cloud Crunch with Michael Elliott and Fred Bliss. For more information, check out the blog, secondwatch.com forward slash cloud dash blog, or reach out to Second Watch on Twitter and LinkedIn. 